The Aspire podcast series has been developed by Sheffield Callum University Aspire Scholars as a resource to support students on their career development journey. The Aspire programme is dedicated to eradicating structural racism in higher education, working collaboratively with institutions to implement policy changes that promote diversity and combat bias. By amplifying the voice of black scholars, the programme aims to enrich the academic community with diverse perspectives and in doing so, strengthen the foundation of knowledge for generations to come. Aspire is more than a programme, it is a catalyst for change, a path to excellence and a promise of a more inclusive tomorrow. Hi and welcome to the next episode of the Aspire programme. Today I'm joined by Alicia Ali. Hi Alicia. Hi Tanya, how are you today? I'm good thanks, how are you? Excellent, I'm really happy to uh, be here to be part of this Aspire podcast series so a real big thanks for inviting me to, to come along. That's okay. We're delighted that you can join us and we are um, very confident that you're going to provide our listeners with lots of great, insightful information today about navigating the doctoral application process. Um, But before we go into that, Alicia, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey. Okay, so I'm an associate professor at Sheffield Hallam University in tourism and hospitality. I'm also the head of research degrees in the Social and Economic Research Institute. And as part of that role, I provide leadership for doctoral programs in social sciences at Sheffield Hallam University. Um, I actually came to the UK in 2006 as an international student to um, do my PhD at Queen Margaret University in Scotland. It was based on technology applications for sustainable tourism development. It was a eye-opening experience, um, even though I've lived and traveled abroad before, it was my first time to Europe. Um, so it was quite different from, you know, working in the Caribbean or being in America or being in Canada or that part of the world. So it was quite a big learning gap for me. Um, but prior to starting my doctorate and joining um, higher education, I actually worked in further education as a lecturer. And prior to that, I worked in hotels and restaurants as well as in consultancy. So so that's basically a snapshot of me. <laughs> and so what made you decide that you wanted to do a PhD? I always had a desire as a, a child that I wanted to achieve the highest level of education possible. And I think that uh, desire was realized when I got my A-level results. So I thought I would do awful and that I would fail everything because the exams were really hard. Um, and I remember, you know, going home after each exam and crying. But then when I got my results, it was the um, most surprising results I've ever gotten because I got A's in everything and I couldn't believe it. Um, and also at that point, um, I didn't know if I could go to university because my parents couldn't afford to pay my fees and the sort of funding from where I grew up was quite different. I had to have like a sponsor um, to to back my loan to go to university. So when I saw my A-level grades, I actually made a, a sort of a list of family, friends and family who could potentially, you know, be my sponsor for my loan to go to university. And it was quite challenging because I got a lot of no's, but I know, so that gave me confidence that I actually had um, the ability to be able to pursue higher education. So I kept knocking on doors, you know, chatting. And finally, um, one of my cousins said, yes, he'll do this. And because of, you know, his yes, I was able to, you know, enroll in university. But luckily, because 
of my grade, A-level grades, which I did not expect, I was able to get a government scholarship. So I no longer needed that funding to start um, to start my, my journey. So from that point, I thought, mm, maybe I do have the ability to potentially do higher education um, to a doctoral level, but also for me, you know, education opened up doors and that's what my parents used to tell me. Um, so, you know, they would always say, you know, whilst we, we don't have a lot of money, and um, we don't have a lot of um, other things, you know, having a good education, you know, gives you the grounding to be able to achieve more for yourself. And I think I always listen to that. So that's why I tried to pursue, you know, higher education. And it has opened up a lot of doors for me um, because never in a million years would I have thought I would be in the UK, I would be an associate professor and I would be working with, you know, doctoral students at one of the largest, you know, universities in the UK. What what would you what do you think a 16, 17 year old self would have said if you know what would they have said if you'd said this is everything you're going to achieve, by the way, in your career and your education? I would have said, What I don't believe it, you know, where is the evidence? <laughs> I would be like, no way can this, you know, um that I could have achieved achieved this. There's no way that that would have been possible for me. So, you know, it it it's actually quite emotional sometimes when I um, see other people achieving stuff because I just think, how wonderful is that to actually see people, you know, aspiring and achieving their own outcomes, thinking about, you know, some of the hardships, the background, the struggles that they had to go through. So I think it's, you know, quite empowering um, right now um, for me um, to actually reflect on that journey to see you know, it hasn't always been easy. It's been a lot of hard work. Um, it's been a lot of loneliness. You know, when I came here, I was by myself. So, you know, I had to, to learn a lot. I was quite young. Um, but again, I think that hard work pays off. I think if you commit, you can see see the rewards. Um, so, yeah, I would yeah, I would have never believed, you know, looking in the mirror, it would have been me. <laughs> would have been some, somebody come. Yeah, somebody completely different. And, you know, I went to a very competitive high school um, when I was growing up and the high school only accepted, I think, like 110 people. So it was quite competitive. So everybody was at the top of their game and I was never at the top of that level. So for me to be able to achieve, I think, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite nice. <laughs> it's great. And here you are yeah. inspiring our listeners. Um, so some of them may have been inspired and be thinking, oh, actually, I might go and do a doctorate. I'm quite interested. Um, so before you consider doing a doctorate or you decide to do a doctorate, what should you consider and what are some of the things that you should research? I think one of the big things um, which I did was really to research what is involved in a doctorate. Uh, try to understand the doctoral process. There's lots of information online. And I would always say speak to um, people who are currently in their doctorates or people who have actually completed their doctorates because the process is quite different from a master's degree or an undergraduate degree. Sometimes I think um, students, when they apply for a doctoral degree, they think it's it's just a level above their master's, but it's, it's a significant step change. And I think you need to understand what that step change is. So I think really research around what what 
what it is a doctoral degree. The other thing I would say is research at different types of doctorates. So there's several kinds. So we have the PhD, which most people are aware of, and that's a doctorate in a you know doctorate in philosophy. But we also have the professional doctorates, for example, such as the doctorate in business administration or the doctorate in education, and those are professional doctorates. So the prof professional doctorates focus more on looking at a contribution to practice or to the industry which you study in, in that field, whereas the PhD is looking more at a theoretical contribution. And I think that's quite important um, because it sort of helps you think about, you know, the type of doctorate which is right for you. And I think, you know, um, don't just think you always have to do a PhD. You can do a different kind of doctorate, which can still give you incredible results at the end. I think a second thing is to also research the institution. Um, that you're thinking of applying to. That's quite important because you need to feel comfortable with the institution that you're going with, you know, research the department, research your potential supervisors, and also think about, you know, if you're going to be applying for a, a doctorate, which is based on a project, which is set by a supervisor, or do you want to go in with your own project ideas? So you don't always have to um, go in with, a set project or or something which is led by the supervisory team. It can, you can also go in with your own ideas, and again, you need to see you know the kinds of organized institutions that um, will do this. So I think that that's really important, and I think you need to be open, open to change. It is going to change you a lot. I know you asked me earlier about, you know, if I was looking at myself, 16, 17 year old, you know, what would I say to myself? I think three years when I did my doctorate, it's some of the most drastic changes I've seen in myself. And you have to be open to that change. So it's not just professional change, it's also personal change. So things like, you know, the way I thought, think is quite different. My um, time management was very different. I had to, you know, be more reflective. I had to um, be a better collaborator, better communicator. So some of the skills which I haven't quite developed or finessed, the doctorate allowed me to grow. So you have to be willing to have that change in you for your research, because that just makes you a better doctoral student and, you know, a better person. So what are the entry requirements and application process uh, to be accepted on a doctorate? And is it the same for home versus international students? So the application process, uh, it, it varies by institutions and it varies by country. So that, that's why I think you need to do your research on the institutions um, that you want to apply for. It also varies by the type of doctorate. So for example, if you're looking for a professional doctorate, they might require you to have a certain number of years work experience compared to if you're looking at a PhD. So that's why I say you need to read the entry requirements of different institutions quite carefully because their entry requirements might vary slightly. In terms of home students versus international students, again, that will be my same advice. Typically um, for international students, if English isn't your first language, the institution might require that you do have some type of English language um, requirement just to ensure that you're able to, you know, speak, work, write um, in, in the language of the doctorate, which is quite important because the 
doctorate is a written piece of work that you will be submitting, and it's typically followed by an oral defense. Not all doctorates are followed by an oral defense. It depends, again, which country you're studying your doctorate for. But typically here in the UK, it's followed by an oral defense. So I think, you know, you need to, to make sure you, you're able to um, be demonstrate the English language skills. I would also say have a look at the fees because, again, in certain countries, the fees for home students tend to be different to international students. So again, I think cost is something you need to look at. If you're going to be a self-funded student, you know, what does that cost look like for you? And not just the tuition fee, but also the cost of living, you know, accommodation, um, you know, living cost. And there are quite a few websites which can help you, you know, you know, get a sense of what that is, as well as the university's website can help you get a sense of what that is. Because again, you don't want to have that financial pressure on you while you're studying your doctorate. You want to be able to invest the time in the doctorate, not thinking about the financial burden that might result from it. So I would say have a look at uh, each university you're thinking of applying for because they would have the particular requirements. So when it then comes to your area of uh, specialism or the area that you're going to research, how do you go about deciding that? And does it have to be linked to um, previous fields of study? Yeah, that's also um, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> so it, it's very I think it's also quite uh, discipline based. Um, so, for example, in certain disciplines, they will require you to have maybe a master's or undergraduate degree in the subject area that you're studying your doctorate in, or it might be they require you to have a degree in a aligned area. So it doesn't have to be in a specific subject area um, to make sure you can transfer that knowledge across to the doctorate. Again, um, it, it again, it doesn't mean that you have to do your doctorate based on the same thing that you did your undergraduate degree in or your master's degree in. Um, it can be, you know, something different, but building on the skill sets that you gain. So if I can give the example of myself, as I said before, my doctorate was in technology applications and sustainable tourism, um, but I never did any sort of work in digital tourism. The At that time, it was called e-tourism. That was a completely new field or new area for me, but I did have knowledge of the sustainability and the tourism elements. So coming into my PhD, that was quite nice because I got to learn that whole new domain of tourism to be able to make a contribution to knowledge there. But at the same time, I still had some background from my previous um, knowledge. So I think if you're coming in from a background where um, you have qualifications or you have work experience, which probably doesn't um, naturally align to the topic that you're looking at, I would say have a conversation with um, the, the potential supervisor or the um, postgraduate, you know, research administrative team, because they can guide you and advise you on this in terms of what, what they're looking for in terms of your entry requirements. But I, I would say don't let that put you off, because again, we look for a wide range of skills um, and competencies when, we, when we're looking at doctoral candidates. So you mentioned their um, supervisors, and when you're, you're doing a doctorate, you are allocated a supervisor. What is the role of that individual during your you know, doctorate journey? Supervisors are really um, critical to the doctoral journey. They're an important part because they support uh, you in your thesis completion. 
but also which is um, really important is they support you with your academic and professional development. So I think having a really good working relationship with your supervisor is important because they are your main points of contact throughout that doctoral journey. And it's not a short journey. It can take you anywhere between three to seven years, depending on if you're doing a full-time or part-time route. So again, that relationship is quite important. Your supervisors, you know, we would expect that um, they, they be competent in the topic area. We would expect that they have expertise in the subject, subject matter as well as the, the methodology which you might be embarking on. And also, um, it's important to know that each supervision team is unique. Um, and again, that is based on personalities. It's it's based on different learning styles. It's also based on the nature of the topic, the methodology. So there's a lot of different factors which guide the supervisory relationship. So that's why it's very important, you know, at the start of the journey is to have those early conversations with your supervisors. I would say even pre, you know, applying, try to understand who might potentially be your supervisors. Because again, if you're um, not able to work with that person, you don't want to be in a relationship with that person for, you know, three to seven years with your, doc with your doctorate. And that's why I always encourage um, new supervisory teams at the start to have a clear conversation around expectations and what does that student supervisory relationship look like so expectations are clear. And that's revisited each year of the doctoral journey so everybody's quite clear because that relationship is quite fundamental. You mentioned earlier, Alicia, about how doing your PhD had really changed you and you'd had to adapt. Mm. What did you find most challenging whilst you were doing your PhD? Uncertainty. <laughs> so you registered for a period of time, but nobody can actually tell you if you're going to finish in that period of time. So there is a lot of uncertainty, especially especially when you get to that data collection stage, because you don't know if your participants are going to respond to you. You don't know when, you know, you're collecting data, if you're getting the right quality data so until you get the data, you can make sense of it. Um, you don't know how long that process is going to take. And then you have this iterative process back and forth, which is supervisors in terms of, you know, refining, redrafting, refining, redrafting. Um, so whilst you might have a clear timeline, there's always uncertainty in terms of, you know, am I ever going to finish on time? And I felt a lot like that during my, my doctorate, my PhD. So in the third year, I was really hoping to complete on time within three years. Um, and in the third year of my doctorate, I was still collecting data. And, you know, it was that le level of uncertainty, or oh, I need to keep adjusting my timelines. So I think uncertainty is quite, quite a big thing, but it doesn't mean you cannot make the process tangible for yourself by having, you know, always... Um, having tasks to do while some of the uncertainty clears itself. So whilst I was still waiting for data to be collected, I was still writing, I was redrafting, writing. I was trying to do um, different things to enhance my employability. So going to conferences, making new connections, um, you know, going to workshops, you know, uh, joining the university doctoral committee. So I did other things to sort of... Um, ease that uncertainty for me, but also develop a broader skill set. So when I finished the doctorate, um, hopefully I would be able to attain employment afterwards. So I think uncertainty, it's quite, um, 
is quite a big thing. And I, I really felt uncertain throughout my doctorate and speaking to my colleagues who were doing the doctorate at the same time as me, we were always, we used to have these lunch lunchtime chats together thinking about, you know, um, we're never going to finish because we never we have no control of anything. <laughs> so it's, it's that uncertainty. <laughs> and what did you find most rewarding, Alicia, apart from finishing? What did you find most rewarding on your journey? I think um, for me, most rewarding was, uh, I think, all the personal, I would say, learning that I gained about me. I learned a lot about myself. You know, I was living in a new country. Um, I had a lot of difficulties at the start of my doctoral journey, which I had to overcome. Um, and I think for me, it was about building resilience. I think that was really important. I built a lot of resilience throughout that doctoral journey. And I think that resilience is quite important now when I'm facing difficulties or facing challenges. I think it's also dealing, as I mentioned before, the uncertainty. I have a better grasp of how to deal with uncertainty now um, because of going through that process. And I think also for me, it was, I had a great uh, community of peers and we're all still friends now. We all um, keep in touch. Um, we're from different disciplines, but I think that collegiality was really, really important. And I think I valued, valued that along, um, along the way. But I think even though I have achieved a PhD, I think what it did for me also, it still continued my curiosity to learn. So, you know, you sort of see it as like this, pinnacle journey in in your learning but it's not you then realize there's still so many other things you can get involved with and learn and I think it sort of you know allowed me to continue to want to learn more about my discipline area and it also made me realize that I can do so many different things so whilst my PhD was focused on a particular area, I'd gain this amazing set of research skills, which I could apply to like so many different sectors, so many different industry. I'd gain this knowledge about how to think critically, which I can apply to different types of literature, different types of environment. And I think that was quite, you know, eye-opening in terms of, it, it sort of, you know, it was like a pinnacle moment, but it made me realize I can do so much more because I've gained so much from it. So we might have some listeners who have been inspired by what you said, Alicia, who might be thinking, oh, actually, this is something I'm quite keen to do. But at the same time, may struggle with self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Mm. What advice would you give to them? For imposter syndrome, I think it's to recognize that you're not alone. We all suffer from imposter syndrome. And um, it's, to, it's to be open and have that conversation with, with your peers. Uh, you might not want to have that conversation with your supervisors, or you, but I think talking to your peers really help. And what you would realize is potentially that they also have imposter syndrome. I think when I suffer from imposter syndrome, I try to focus on the positives. So I love post-its and colorful post-its. <laughs> so I have these... Um, little notes that I keep for myself in terms of things um, that I've achieved. So to remind me that I can do stuff, uh, that I can do things. And I think if you start to keep those little progress notes for yourself in terms of what you have achieved, you can actually think, you know what, I can do it. You know, you would not have been accepted on a doctoral program if the admissions team didn't think you can do it. And I think that in itself is something which should help you think, you know what, you can you can continue on this journey. But I think talking a lot does help. Um, that's one of the things I wish I had done more during my um, 
PhD. I did talk, but we didn't talk a lot about well-being and things like imposter syndrome. Actually, it was very rarely mentioned. But I think we do need to recognize um, our own well-being as part of the doctoral process. And, you know, thinking about ways of how we can balance it, because there is your life you know, occurring alongside the doctorate. It is consuming. It will take up a lot of your time. But I think it's also to remember that if you don't take frequent breaks, you know, if you don't look after yourself, then you're not going to produce a thesis um, in a timely fashion or or produce a thesis, you know, which you want to produce. So I think looking after your well-being is really important. And we're just coming to the end of our time together, Alicia, but knowing now what you know, having gone through the uh, doctoral process, what do you wish you'd have known at the start of your journey? I wish that I had known to be braver and to be bolder. (laughs) Um, I was quite shy, so um, I wish I was a little bit braver and took some more opportunities which were presented to me. So I think it's going back to your earlier question around that imposter syndrome, you know, because I didn't feel I was capable of doing certain things. I didn't grab those opportunities. And so for me, you know, my message would be to anybody is to be brave and to be bold um, and, you know, take those leaps, even though they might seem a bit uncertain because you never know what could potentially happen so sometimes I do feel my journey is a bit it's it's a bit of a lucky one because you know I could have never imagined some of these things happening to me and sometimes you know I'm still in like doubt like is this me you know so I think you know it's to be it's, it's that bravery I think I wish I had at the start um which I think I would have probably you know just seized more opportunities as they came along Alicia, thank you so much for joining us on the Aspire podcast and for inspiring our listeners. Oh, my pleasure. It was an absolute uh, joy to be here today. And uh, again, thank you for having me. And hopefully um, this podcast, you know, helps um, others to start their own doctoral journey. And to our listeners, do join us next time. Sheffield Hallam University is one of UK's largest, most diverse universities with a community of around 37,000 students. The university's mission is simple. They transform lives. Sheffield Hallam is an award-winning university, recently receiving gold in the Teaching Excellence Framework for outstanding support for student access and progression. Individuals from all backgrounds are provided with the opportunity to acquire skills, knowledge and experience to succeed at whatever they choose to do. Thank you.